The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. On this episode, I have speech and language pathologist Pamela Miller. Pamela is a bigwig in the MS world, having written many articles and resources for the National MS Society, having been president of the Consortium of MS Centers and a consultant for Can Do MS since the late 1980s. On today's episode, we talk about what speech and language pathology is, common MS symptoms that can be treated by a speech and language pathologist, and treatment ideas to help with speech, swallowing, and cognition. Pamela, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for asking me. Of course. So we are going to dive into all of the nitty gritty things about speech and language pathology. But before we do, I would like to ask you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a bit better. Is that okay with you? That sounds fine. Awesome. All right. So I'm just going to shuffle. And your question is, what is the one thing you'll be really disappointed in if you never get to experience it? Oh boy, that's a tough one. You know, I've seen YouTubes and different experiences about hiking Mount Kilimanjaro. I think that would be really nice. And I, at this point in my life, I'm not sure I can do that. However, what I've seen are some people doing it with canes. So maybe, maybe it's possible. That's amazing. I have a friend who was all signed up to hike Kilimanjaro and she ended up getting food poisoning the night before it was going to be this guided hiking tour and she got food poisoning. And so she couldn't go and she had been training for months. So I think she was planning on doing it at some point, but didn't work out that first time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, very cool. I love that. All right. So let's dive in. I realize that there might be some people listening right now who have never heard of speech and language pathologists or SLPs. So can we start the conversation off by really just explaining what is that and what do you do? Yeah, actually with people with multiple sclerosis, especially the three areas that I always talk about is if you're having difficulty speaking clearly or swallowing safely, or if you're having difficulty with cognition language, such like thinking, memory, word finding, those types of things. And a lot of people, when they do have more cognitive based symptoms, they might think of going to like cognitive behavioral therapy. How does speech and language pathology differ from some of those other professions that you might go to? 
Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because really there are three disciplines who are really quite, well, maybe even more now we're getting more robust as time goes by and we understand cognition more and how we can help. But I know initially it was the neuropsychologists who would do the um, in-depth testing. And then gradually it came to be speech language pathologists because of our experience with uh, working with cognition and language for all kinds of neurological diagnoses, like whether it was brain injury or brain surgery, those kinds of things. Then I know occupational therapy also approaches cognition in, and by the way, we approach it all in our own different ways and our different perspectives, professional perspectives. Like neuropsychology has a good way to assess not only thinking skills, but, but also emotional and how emotions and thinking skills, cognitive skills can interface. When you work with a speech language pathologist, it's oftentimes that people who might be having language problems, word finding or difficulty, wanting to have strategies to remember things better or to do better at work if they have to problem solve through things. And then the occupational therapist also works on cognition, but from a very practical point of view, because everything we do in life, whether it's things around the house or things at work or out in the community, you have to think through those things. And so if that's where you're noticing the big problems, an occupational therapist can help you think through and approach things that way. And now there's also rehab psychologists, I think, who are also getting into it. So I think what we're starting to do is just call us cognitive rehab specialists. And it can be any different combination, depending upon what your needs are. I think that's so important. You know, I feel like for a while, cognition and even speech and swallowing, it wasn't a priority for a lot of people, you know, usually, especially with MS, maybe this is just because I'm a physical therapist, but the first thing that people usually try to get help with is mobility and strength. Cause those are most apparent when you're noticing weakness and maybe tripping or falling, but speech and swallowing cognition, those can come on much slower than some of the other symptoms. Would you suggest seeing a speech and language pathologist or anyone from a cognitive rehab team when you're first diagnosed, just to see what your baseline is and then follow up regularly? Or is it not necessary unless you're having certain symptoms? Well, it's probably not a bad idea to have an initial screening. And sometimes the neurologist whoever or whoever they work with can do a screening. So to just get kind of a baseline and try to figure out, do you need to be referred out to one or the other. And also I wanna correct you in that sometimes cognitive problems can be the first thing and physically they can be, people can be fine. But I think what you said about people mostly looking at the physical first, and that's what we did for probably decades. And it was not until about the mid eighties that neuropsychologists out here in Colorado, actually, University of Colorado did some in-depth neuropsychological evaluations of a larger group of people and were able to document cognitive problems. So since then, we've been looking at all of it. But 
I think the most important thing you said is if you start to notice that how you're thinking or how you're speaking is interfering with your everyday activities, that's when you go and explain that to your care provider. Yeah. And this might be a tough question, but is the cause of some of these speech and swallowing cognition issues is the cause MS itself? Like how can you determine if it's MS versus just general aging and something that you should get some help with, or will it go away on its own? How do you work through that? Good question. A lot of times the testing has uh, norms. So it would be norm for a certain age group or education. And then you can sort of sort out whether it is due to like a younger person, a 20-year-old would be able to do things better cognitively than a 70-year-old normally. But with the normative data, it helps. Also, if it starts to fall into the pattern that we see, that's typical with MS, that helps. And then there's also the MRI that you can have some correlation between what's going on with the MRI and what a person is experiencing in their everyday life. Not always, but at least that's one thing that can happen. Yeah. Okay. So what I think I'd like to do is go into specifics with each of the three main categories in terms of what are some of the most common, obviously there might be lots, but the most common symptoms and what would a potential treatment look like? So let's start with speech. What are some of the most common speech-related changes with MS, and what might some treatments look like for that? Okay, so if you're having difficulty with speaking clearly, there's a fancy term for it. It's called dysarthria, and just how you would have difficulty with coordinating muscles quickly for walking or moving that would be the same thing that would happen with your lips and your tongue. And so then it would be hard to articulate clearly. And only about, I would say only about maybe a third of the people with MS will experience dysarthria. And also it can be, it can come and go as the diagnosis relapses and remits it, or even with fatigue can make speech a little bit more difficult. So some of those overlapping factors are important to keep in mind. So for that, you would want to see a speech language pathologist, get an evaluation, especially if it's interfering with your everyday life, and then she or he can help develop a treatment plan for you. And typically it's, I would say the things that help the most through the years that I've worked with people are strategic pauses and over-articulation. So just learning to use your lips and tongue a little bit more so that you're over-articulating the sound that you want, giving a little bit more time to say those sounds. And then strategic pauses are important because people are, often get off to the races and just start talking straight as if they always had. But the muscles aren't cooperating. So say you might say a few words and then pause and then say a few more words, something like that. Very cool. And I've had a few clients in the past who have MS and they were actually working on speaking louder. And there was an app, I can't remember what it was called, 
but they were seeing a speech and language pathologist and they were recommended to use this app that picks up on your voice to train yourself to talk louder. Is that another common speech problem with MS is the loudness? Yeah, definitely loudness. And what they have found is if you actually work on loudness, it, it ends up automatically slowing you down and having you over-articulate. So sometimes you can work on just one aspect of speech and it has a cumulative effect that's helpful. So yes, they've done research on loudness as a really important thing to help with your speech intelligibility. Okay, very cool. And let's move on to swallowing. So what might some swallowing symptoms look like and how do you work on that? Okay, so swallowing problems are probably a little less, maybe about a fourth of the people with MS might experience swallowing problems and they're usually transient. They come and go. They usually can be related to fatigue, but that's an important thing to work on because the last thing you want to do is to be able to have it go down the wrong tube and get aspiration pneumonia. What typically happens is when you would see a speech pathologist, there's a clinical swallow eval that we might just observe you swallowing different consistencies, like maybe a cracker, maybe applesauce, maybe water, maybe a thick liquid, like a milkshake, and be able to feel like you can put your hand where your vocal cords are, and some people call it your voice box. And when you swallow, do you feel it go up when you swallow? And what you, you want that to happen, because if it goes up, it's protecting the airway. There are two tubes in your oropharynx, and one goes to your stomach, and one goes to your lungs. So you want everything to go to your stomach. Yeah, I know all too well, when it goes to the lungs, it's that wrong tube that's one of the most uncomfortable situations, you just try to cough it out until you can breathe again. Uh, the good thing is, though, the cough is a natural reflex that we have and is a protective device. So coughing is a good thing. But there are other strategies that you can learn, like how you hold your head. Sometimes you tuck your chin a little bit when you swallow to keep it more in your mouth until, you're, until your throat is ready to take it. Maybe you chew a little bit more than you typically would because that mixes more saliva in or like take a little sip in if it's a, something like a graham cracker to make it moist so that the food moves down slowly and carefully and more easily. So some of those things are important. However, if swallowing is a significant problem that really needs to be looked at, we We do modified barium swallows where we have you go to uh, radiology and typically it's with a speech language pathologist with a radiologist where you would have barium that you might drink or a little barium paste on a cracker. And so we can actually see how safely things are working. And sometimes that's necessary to make sure that you're safe you know, spiking a fever, coughing a lot, not being able to get enough uh, nutrition or hydration in, all those are very important just for good health and life. So very important to keep an eye on. Yeah. And that actually just reminded me, I have worked with a few clients in the past 
on strengthening their core. And one side effect that they noticed was improved coughing because they had a stronger core and could use that strength for a more pronounced cough. So lots of interworkings happening, as you said, for a speech, you know, there's lots of different things that, that go into that. Yes, I know. Uh, So that's good. And that's how PT, OT and speech can overlap. And that's, what's really wonderful. Like positioning is very important. Like not sitting back as if you're in a lazy boy, because gravity will take over and make you unsafe, but actually have you sitting upright. And sometimes OT can help with positioning. Core strengthening can help with being able to hold yourself up that way. So, yeah, I, I love the collaboration approach. You know, there's so many things that really a full team would be best to help with. If, and, you know, there are some MS clinics that have PTOT and speech all right in that one place. Okay, so let's move on to cognition. You've already given a few examples like word finding, but What are some of the most common cognitive symptoms and what are a few things that might be possible for treatments? Yeah, so what people will notice is problems with attention, problems with speed of information processing, problems with memory, maybe sometimes problems with the more complex things like planning and organizing and prioritizing and starting something and sticking with it all the way to the end. That's called your executive functions, in addition to the word finding. So all of those things are are the most common things that we have seen with people with MS. And when it comes to treatment, what are some common things. And the reason why I ask is because I feel like at one point I heard that it can be really helpful to do word puzzles and Sudoku, but then I had heard at a different time that that wasn't actually helpful. Is there anything that people can do on their own more preventatively that might be different from treatment from an SLP? Well, you know, I I think what you heard, because you want to take anything that people do Um, and really evaluate it and look at efficacy. And you want to do it with a large group of people to really say, yes, do crossword puzzles and that'll help. And there really isn't that kind of thing. However, when I think about if you you go to somebody and you get evaluated and you see what your problem areas are, that person can help you design a program to be able to maybe learn how to pay attention or regulate the information that comes to you. And also there's one computer program, but it's, it's, there's a little bit of a cost to that on a monthly basis that they've done a lot of research with, and it's being used more and more. And that's Brain HQ. There's been a lot of study with that one and that one's being chosen. And when I look at that, that's quite well designed. It gets to attention, it gets to speed, and then it gradually gets slower and faster depending upon what your needs are to help speed you up. It does memory, it does problem solving, it's very good. But beyond that, I would say that even though there's no studies, the more that you do to stimulate your brain, just like the more that you might walk to help yourself. 
is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to read, to write, to join a book group, to, you know, those kinds of things. That's, that's keeping yourself engaged, but choose areas that you enjoy. Yeah. And one thing that, that you briefly touched on that I think is really important is you mentioned, you know, working with someone to get an individualized, personalized approach, because when it comes to these types of exercises, it's so important that not only is it going to be the best exercises for you, but that it's important to you. There's research showing that with neuroplasticity, it's even more effective if it's specific to something you're interested in. And, you know, that's something that working one-on-one with a, an SLP can absolutely help with. Right, right. And either SLP or OT, when I think about maybe a person has difficulty approaching some complex task, like cooking a meal, and they used to be a really good cook. But if you think about cognitively, there are so many steps involved to preparing a meal that are just automatic to so many people, things become a little less automatic. And so learning how to plan through that and check off things and use timers and all kinds of things like that are really quite helpful. And what I love is when somebody brings a specific problem that they're experiencing in their everyday life, and then I can work specifically on that problem, that function that they want to do whether it's bill paying or handling the mail or in the kitchen or anything, it's something around work, then I can um, help design a program around that. Yeah, that's really important because I find a lot of the times in physical therapy, people will come with, with general goals of improving walking or balance, but you're, you're right in that the more specific it is, the more fine tuned the program. So if anyone listening is thinking about going to an SLP or even an OTPT, anyone get really specific with your goals. It's so helpful in whoever you're working with to help create that program for you. Yes. And there's a lovely book. Um, and I wrote a couple chapters and it's called the questions you have, the answers you need, and it takes each area. And that's really quite helpful as a resource for you. That's what I'm thinking about. I mean, there's other resources out there too that you and I have spoken about. Can Do MS, and I've consulted with that program for many, many years, has all kinds of webinars and handouts to help you understand. The more you educate yourself, the better. National MS has incredible information that's available for you. And knowing that, knowing who does what, and also your area, like certain areas, like for example, in Canada, I think it's mostly the occupational therapists who do the cognitive rehab. In certain areas of the country, maybe one speech is available, but OT is not, and neuropsych's not. So you have to kind of work with your team to see who's available within your area and be specific as to what you're experiencing. So that you can be referred to the help that you need. Yeah, that's a really good point that it might be a different profession or a different person within the healthcare team. Can you explain how is an SLP or even an OT, how is someone who specifically has the MS certified specialty 
different? What types of things are they equipped to help with versus someone an SLP or an OT who doesn't have that MS certification? Yeah, so I, I think about blinders. Sometimes as a professional, we can have, you know, be so focused on what we know a speech language pathologist does. But with, with that certification, it kind of widens your view because you have understanding not only of my field, but the disease of MS, the medicines that are helpful, the symptom management that's helpful, that has, it's outside of speech, but can relate to it. What an OT, what a speech, what a PT, what a psychologist, what a neuropsych, everything. So the more that the broader that you understand what a person with MS is experiencing, the, the better that you can be helpful to them, part of the team. Yeah. And especially because so many symptoms can cause other symptoms, you know, fatigue is something that could make speech swallowing and cognition worse or stress. You know, there's so many things with MS that we experience on a day-to-day basis, but when you have MS that might cause a pseudo flare or worsening temporary worsening in some way, shape or form of any of these symptoms. So yeah, I, I like that view of it, just managing the MS in addition to the specific area that you're working on. Yes. And actually, when you think about cognition, the two things that can really overlap and impact thinking skills for people with MS or actually anybody are fatigue. And do you have enough sleep and is MS fatigue interfering? And also with emotions, are you feeling sad, anxious? Any of those things, stress, as you mentioned, can interfere with how you think. How you feel can interfere with how you think. How alert you are and rested you are can interfere with how you think. I, you're reminding me of something that I heard at one of the MS consortiums a few years ago, which was that some, a family member was certain that their loved one with MS had some type of hearing issue because they were just disengaged. They weren't participating. So they went through all the tests to look at hearing and the test came back with the hearing is fine. And it ended up being just that they weren't interested. They weren't like exactly what you're saying with what you're feeling and how that translates to your participation in life and, you know, day-to-day activities. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. And it also, in a situation like that, it can also be processing. You know, maybe a person can't keep up that speed of process, can't keep up with what is being said. And many people I've worked with, they just shut down because it's like, oh, I can't keep up. So what's the use type of thing. And one of the things that I teach is called regulation of input or uh, listeners' rights and responsibilities, your ability to say, now, wait a minute. I heard you say this. Now, what was the next thing? So you start to control what comes at you so that you are an active participant in it and are letting the other person know what you need. And oftentimes people are too shy or embarrassed to do that. And I really strongly encourage them to. Yeah, that sounds like it would definitely take practice if anything, just to feel more comfortable doing that, but also just because we're not used to it. Right, right. 
So my final question for you is how important is self-advocacy and what has your experience with self-advocacy been specifically for this realm that we're talking about? Yeah, so that's exactly like what that example that I just gave you is an example of self-advocacy saying, you know, I'm important. What you're saying is important to me. I need to understand it in this way. So it's letting people know what you need and feeling good about it. That feeling good about it part takes time, usually. Sometimes people, for example, might have a neuropsych battery that may take four, six, eight hours over, t- over some days, and then they get the results, but they don't ask for, okay, well, this is the problem. I want to be able to work with somebody who can help me give strategies to do better. And that's probably the biggest thing that I try to encourage people to do is to talk with their care provider and say, I'd like to work on these problems that have been identified. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And physical therapy is getting better at this. I've been an MS specialist for six years now, which is not that long, but As little as six years ago, there were still lots of my clients who had to ask their neurologist or doctor for a referral to physical therapy. It wasn't just automatically assumed or automatically given because of their weakness or symptoms. They had to actually ask for it. So having that self-advocacy to open up and talk to your doctors so that you can get the help that you need is so important. And I love the, the approach that you said too, that self-advocacy is also about the conversations that you're having with your loved ones, not just getting the help that you need, but sharing what you need in order to better listen or better participate. That's true. Yeah. So it's not just with your healthcare provider who can refer you to the services you need, but it's with your loved ones or your friends or even out the, at, a, at the store, letting people know what you need. It really helps. Yeah. Well, this has been so insightful. I, I love spreading awareness about all the different types of healthcare professionals because I think a lot of the times people don't even know they exist or that they should see someone for a specific symptom that they're having. So This has been really helpful. And I will be posting some of those resources in the show notes. So we mentioned Can Do MS, the National MS Society, and also the Consortium of MS Centers. So if anyone listening wants to look into those, you can check the show notes and I'll put the links there. Is there anything else that that you wanted to mention? Um, No, just so it was nice being able to talk with you and to share some of this information. I'm glad that you're doing a platform like this to reach more people. Thank you. And thanks again for your expertise and your time today. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. 
If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.